bonus episode. I, it hasn't started recording yet. It's starting recording. Hi, welcome to Fed Talks, take two. I'm your host, EJ Fed Talks. Today we have a special bonus episode. It's October 14, so that means we're going to talk about the leftovers. And on a bonus episode, I like to have a guest who's an expert. So I am proud to have all the way from Canada, uh, my Twitter friend, Haley. Hello. Hi. Hi, it's so nice to talk to you. Now, before we start, and I didn't tell you this, I have a compliment and a fascinating fact for you. Oh, I cannot wait for both. Okay. First off, the compliment, and this is for the people listening who may be wondering what to do with their social media. Uh, Haley, uh, one of my top three Twitter follows. Oh, my gosh. Well, now I feel I know- terrible that I have abandoned Twitter in the last few months. Oh, oh no, that's the right choice. <laughs> I, I will I will never talk anybody out of abandoning Twitter, but we we. <laughs> If I had, if I could only follow three people, you would be one of the three because your your tweets are very funny and you have a cute dog, which is, yeah, frankly, the things I'm looking for in a Twitter follow. Yeah, my dog. When when I got him, he became a real star, <laughs> real focal point of my social media. He, he really is. He's one of those dogs <laughs> who can find the camera too. Oh, he, knows. he sure can. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and the other. Nice. Thank you so much. Oh, no, you're welcome. And the fascinating fact, I don't okay. think you know this. Oh and it might not be true, but based, I, I've tried to go back through the sequence of events, and it's the only way that, that it makes sense. You are responsible for for introducing me to one of my closest friends. Is that true? Yes. Who is it? Uh, you... Uh, uh, Another fa- uh, top three tweet, top three tweeterer. God, I can't talk. <laughs> I can't either. We're gonna have a rough go. <laughs> this is gonna be a mess. Uh, uh, you are you're familiar with Summer from Twitter? Oh, of course I am. Yeah, she rules. She does rule. Yeah. And uh, we were both sort of following you independently, presumably through podcasts. Oh, that's where most of my followers be at. <laughs> we're a bunch yes. of podcast fans, yeah. My all of my followers are from when I was live tweeting the comedy bang bang television show, so it, it's <laughs> it's the same thing. Yeah. But we only met because you retweeted something that I tweeted that she replied to, and we so we have discussed it and and we we would like to get you a muffin basket at some point. Oh my gosh! Well, that is so wonderful because I think I'm trying to think of how I even summer I found. Like Sean Clements tweeted something where he was giving away a free T-shirt if you could name a record he had in a photo, and the record was Andy Schaff, who's a local musician to where I'm from, which is Regina, Saskatchewan. So I responded within like a second to the point where I think I ruined the Twitter game he was trying to play, <laughs> and he was like, "Oh, yep, you were, yep, you're right, you get a free T-shirt." And I think Summer responded in that thread and was like, "Way to go!" Like just some really sweet comment of like, "Good job." And so I would like, we followed each other. And then, yeah, she just like, she's very funny and just a great, like a lot of, she likes a lot of great podcasts, which was, that's like, those are my people, you know? I listen to a podcast like every waking hour of the day. So that makes my heart so warm. I knew you guys knew each other, but I assumed I had nothing to do with it. And now I feel so special. <laughs> my heart is so warm. 
What? So thank you for that also. Oh my goodness. Well, it was, you're welcome, I guess. I had no, I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> I had no it wasn't anything that's... you actively did, but. <laughs> yeah, that's the best kind of action is I didn't have to do anything, but something good came out of it. So I will happily take all the that... credit. <laughs> Somebody has to. Yeah. Not like I'm meeting people on my own. Come on. <laughs> No one's meeting um, anyone. We're all locked in our th- homes still. <laughs> We're all living like I do. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So where, but what we're here to talk about is the leftovers. And and the reason for that, uh, I, I feel like I need to explain it, even though if you have not watched the series, this will be a baffling listen, I think. Perhaps, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it is a, an HBO series based on a, based on a, Initially based on a novel, then it went out in crazy directions. Uh, but the premise is that 2% of the people in the world all disappeared at the same time. And the date that happened was October 14. So we always think of that as leftovers day. And I know that, uh, like me, you would consider that one of your, your all-time favorite shows. Oh, 100%. Even as I was re-watching it, I was just like, God damn, the show is so good. And it just made me like... It made me want to get back on Twitter and just talk about it again. But like to everyone else, they'd be like, the show ended three years ago. Like, why is she just right. going off all of a sudden? <laughs> so that is one of, one of the, the uh, main questions I kind of had for you, because I rewatched the first season fairly recently, not necessarily in advance of this, but I've been kind of rewatching a lot of my favorite shows or at least starting to and then thinking oh man I really like that other show I should rewatch that and leaving a trail of watched first seasons behind me mm-hmm. but my question is at what point do you feel like you really got into the show because the first season is almost daring you to keep watching it at the beginning you know it's, it's one of the things so I wanted to le- talk to you about yeah it's like everyone who I've like gotten into the leftovers it's almost always taken two tries and I had the same experience where I liked like I'm a huge Lost fan I don't know if we've ever talked Mm -hmm. about Lost before but Lost was like my show when I was in high school like when it was Wednesday night and Lost was on I would make my mom like take the phone off the hook so like no one like I was like an intense dorky teen um so I was really excited that Damon Lindelof was going to be doing another show so I was like I'm gonna it's gonna be like appointment viewing the leftovers and like halfway through the first season I just was like man I don't know if this is for me like it is like you said it is bleak and you kind of don't know like what the point is and you're like there's so many questions and you're just like none of these people are like super likable right off the bat so you're just like am I even rooting for any of them um and then I think when the second season started airing Alan Seppenwald, do you follow him on Twitter? He's like a TV critic. I think he works for Rolling Stone now. Um, oh, just, started... just a second. You're cutting out. Oh, sorry. Am I good now? Hello? Yeah, that's better. Okay. Um, what, Where did I start to cut out? <laughs> Hello? Hello? Yeah, sorry. Where did I start to Hi. cut out? Uh, when you started talking about the second season. Oh, yeah. So when the second season started airing, like these Mike Schur, co-creator of, you know, all the great shows. Just a second. You're, 
you're, you're cutting out again. You, apparently, the second season is... Oh, my God, it's a curse. Hold on, you know, I'm going to disconnect. Um, I don't know what. My internet just kind of sucks. I'm going to be honest with you. The second season is having the same effect on you that uh, that Nora had on her on electronic equipment in the, in that one episode. <laughs> yeah, nothing will work, yeah. Um, okay, well, I'll try again. Let me know if I cut out again. Um, okay, this already sounds better. Okay, beauty. Um, when the second season started airing, Mike Schur and Alan Sepinwall started tweeting about it all the time. Um, and mm-hmm. those are two people whose TV opinions I trust because Mike Schur created some of my favorite sitcoms and Alan Sepinwall just right. was a TV critic I liked for a while there. So I was like, okay, I'm giving it another try. And then I just like blasted through season one. <laughs> I was just like, just got to get through it. And then the last couple episodes of season one, they, they're the ones that really get you. And then season two to the end is just like fantastic television that I just became obsessed with immediately. Okay. Yeah. It sounds like we were kind of, kind of similar there. It was the Damon Lindelof mm-hmm. thing for me. Mm-hmm. And then I decided I'd start recapping it because uh, uh, recapping Lost was like a, <laughs> like, like sort of a literally life-changing experience for me. Mm-hmm. And uh uh, yeah, I, I I loved it so much, and I'm I'm on board for Damon Lindelof all the way. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, I was a big Christopher Eccleston fan going in. So like when he gets his showcase in the third episode, I'm like, all right, I'm. There's a lot of things I don't like about this man, but I'm connecting with him because Christopher Eccleston is very good at acting. He's phenomenal. I was thinking about th- on this watch through where I feel like I'd never really appreciated his character before. And then, I mean, we're jumping ahead, but in the series finale, he has that really wonder, like, oh, God, he just has some great scenes in that final episode at the beginning there. Yeah, he's, anytime he has a scene with Carrie Coon, it's just, yeah, just especially so at the end there, it it feels like they are actually siblings and they have this history. It's amazing. Yeah, because they're not too, like, they clearly love each other, but they're not, like, I think sometimes TV shows makes it like they make siblings either like the relationships like way too fraught or like, you know, like this is a terrible comparison. But like the thing that always bothered me with friends is like Monica and Ross are siblings, but they they don't act like they're related except for like when a pl- I don't know. That's always bothered. Me. Anyways, but the thing I loved about them is it's not too fraught. They definitely disagree a ton. But it, like it's I don't know I think it's such a good depiction of siblings where they like call each other out on their shit but they still like at the end of the day they're like well I'm gonna support you as you go through whatever crazy thing you're doing. Right yeah that's 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 a very good way of putting it. Uh, and I I think for me I was like it is almost satirically dark for those when I tell people to watch it I always have to tell them look. In the first 10 minutes, somebody shoots a dog. Yeah. That, that happens. <laughs> and then a bunch more dogs get shot. And it takes a while before they explain to you why that happened. Yeah. And. Oh, God. But by the time the finale rolled around, I realized how absorbed I was in the story, even if I didn't necessarily like anybody. Yeah. You know, you know what? I'm going to ask you this. By the end of the series. Did you like love all and care about all the characters? Or did you still kind of not like everyone? <laughs> the third season actually is the one that that 
tipped me over to to the last few I hadn't really connected with. I mean, I still think some of them are just just deep, deep a holes. And oh yeah, I I never uh, I know Meg is very important in the first season, but uh, the kids never quite won me over all the way like I didn't miss them if they didn't show up for a while yeah even in the third season they just kind of like they're sort of around but like no it doesn't matter <laughs> they just kind of yeah there, there's about, phone calls yeah yeah but like the that that big episode with uh uh I always forget Amy Brenneman's uh Lori Lori that's yeah. her name right yeah that's that she had never completely clicked for me partly because she spends the first season completely silent and she's not a huge part of the second season, but that episode, that, that sort of last episode with her where there's sort of the fake out where she, she's maybe going to drown herself. Yeah. But I thought that was really, that really crystallized her character for me. And I'm like, yep, I I love her too. Yeah. It's like, it's the, I remember watching that because season three, yeah, definitely wins you over with Lori. Like I was rewatching, I rewatched all of season three kind of by accident, but like I, once I just started watching it, I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to watch the whole season. But there's the episode where Kevin's in Australia and he hallucinates thinking he sees Evie, but it's just some girl and he calls Lori. And just something about that episode with her and how much she like genuinely cares for Kevin and just like wants him to be okay just like really showed how much she'd changed, you know, since season one where she was kind of, you know, selfish and all that stuff. So yeah, like the episode Mm -hmm. where I think it's the second last episode where you think she's like going to kill herself. I remember feeling like relieved when she did it. Like it almost like surprised me how much I cared (laughs) because I was always like, oh, Lori sucks. But then like, oh my God, no, she's alive. So like, it was like, like a wave of like relief washed over me. Yes, that was my reaction, which I wasn't expecting at all. Yeah, it was like surprisingly moving. Yeah. That, by the way, that episode, um, I'm kind of a credits nerd. And one thing I, I realized recently is that was written by Carly Ray, who also wrote some of the best episodes of Mad Men and uh, the best episode of Westworld and one of the best episodes of Watchmen. And she's going to be the showrunner on the Game of Thrones prequel. Oh, and that's somebody who just. That. Yeah, I have just loved everything she's written without really realizing, mm. like making that connection. But then you look at her IMDb and it's like, oh, she wrote my favorite episodes of everything. Yeah. You know, what's funny is I was I'm a huge credits nerd for comedies, but for some reason with dramas I like never really like pay attention to who's writing what and I have no idea why except one thing I did notice on this watch uh, watch through was Craig Zobel directed a bunch of episodes and he's the guy that did Mayor of Easttown and I found that like absolutely baffling (laughs) because I watched (laughs) all of Mayor of Easttown I didn't love it and the fact that the director of so many of those episodes directed so many leftovers episodes just seemed like shocking to me because I just like I just couldn't wrap my head around it like how different I feel towards the two shows I don't know maybe that's just me but yeah he's I think he did a bunch of Westworld stuff too and some other stuff but it's a fun fact I, I learned this watch through yeah I, I did not know he did Mirror of Easttown I think yeah. he and then uh, uh Mimi Leader bunch, yeah. were kind of the like the two main directors on the show yeah yeah that sounds right and Mimi yeah. Leader's one that you know she's been doing 
I remember her starting out on ER and then she did a movie that did poorly. And it's like, then she just kept doing TV after that. Yeah. Which is unfortunately what happens to uh, women who direct movies that don't go well is they go to director jail immediately. Yeah. No second chance. (laughs) But you know, there's a, you you can do great in TV. I mean, that's why some of the best TV directors I think right now are women because they don't get the chance to fail at movies and they come back to TV. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. may maybe sound needlessly harsh, but you you have a movie that doesn't do well. Nope, you're you're getting kicked back to HBO. Whereas if you're uh, you know Colin Trevorrow or whoever, you can make absolute garbage, and they go, <laughs> well, let's let's give him a Jurassic Park and see uh, see if he can fail upwards. Oh man, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. It's kind of strange, like, I kind of, I don't know how I forgot, like, I forgot most of season two for some reason. I think because season three of the show is so impactful, you almost forget some things. And for some reason, I completely forgot Regina King was even in this show until I rewatched it. And then the, like, the leftovers Watchmen, like, I was like, oh, that's where she met him. That's why she was cast. I don't know. That was, like, an interesting thing, because I was like... Like, she wasn't really a main character in The Leftovers. Like, her arc, I don't know. I think she got a little bit of the short end of the stick in her season. Like, the only, like, the only, I don't know. Like, I think it's season three, episode one. There's the bit where her and Nora jump on a trampoline to the Wu-Tang Clan. <laughs> and that's, like, the only image of her character I really remember from the whole series. I don't know why. I feel like her storyline in season two... I don't know. I don't think they did her enough justice, that character. It's always focused on, like, John, like, the husband, and obviously Evie, but I wish there was more of her. My only critique, I think, of that storyline. She she does have, there's a, I wish I could remember which episode. I wish I'd rewatched this one before. But she has this tremendous scene with Nora late in the season where she's basically, like, making Nora do the the departure tests that she used to do in the first season where she'd ask those series mm-hmm. of questions. And it's just like two of the best actors I've ever seen in this, in just in this intense scene. Oh, I'm going to have to rewatch season two. I think I just watched the, um, the alternate universe one and then the finale. And I think I got to rewatch those earlier episodes just to, cause yeah, she's got their stuff. Like, yeah, shout out to Carrie Coon. Like, She's one of the best. God, she's so good in this show. I just can't wrap my head around it. I kind nuts. of. I wonder. Like, I think she she talented her way into a bigger role on the show. Like, if you watch the first season, she is ninth build in the credits. That's crazy. Like, I kind of do wonder because, like, going back to kind of the lost of it all. Like, I think Damon Lindelof. Like, I actually saw him speak once. I was in Vancouver, and, like, the Vancouver Film Festival held some, like, an, a night with Vince Gilligan. Like, it was near the end of uh, the final season of Breaking Bad. Like, it was two weeks before the finale. And he had this, like, night. He was going to be interviewed, and he, I saw I was a TV nerd, so I was like, oh, man, I'm for sure going. And then the surprise interviewer was Damon Lindelof. Like, I had no idea he was going to be there. <laughs> I was like, I, like I said, I was a diehard Lost fan. So instantly the whole night just became like, holy crap. I'm watching Damon Lindelof, like talk to Vince Gilligan about TV, about like 
and one thing he kept talking about since they're so close to the series finale of Breaking Bad, he's like, no, but just don't listen to what anyone says. You know what you wrote. It's going to air. You can't fix it now. Like, I think he was truly traumatized by people's reactions to lo- the Lost series finale. Mm-hmm. So one thing I was wondering about the leftovers, and maybe you would know this. I, I have no idea. Do you know how planned out it was? Like, was it always going to be three seasons? Like, do you think he had an idea of what the whole like whole story was going to be? That makes sense. It feels like there was an overview, but this wasn't like a lost thing where they knew how many episodes they were going to get at a certain point. Like there was mm-hmm. always a chance it wasn't coming back from season to season. Okay. Like the first season is the book, basically. There there are some changes, but it's the story of the book. And then the second season, which I believe opens <laughs> a million years in the past. Yeah, <laughs> it's a real weird season opener. It's- season two is maybe my favorite i like season three i think is perfect but season two is my favorite because it's so weird i it's when it went from just being like a really dark hbo drama to like something totally different and like yeah yeah just absolutely i just remember watching like the episode where he goes i keep calling it the alternate universe but i guess it's sort of like the afterlife you know like whatever what i keep like, I remember watching that episode for the first time and just being like, what is going on? Like, he's in a hotel. He's like, Patty's a kid, but she's an adult. Like, it just, you know, just like, there's like <laughs> nothing I'd ever seen before on TV. Like, it was just, I felt nuts. Um, yeah, but uh, to go back to the thing you asked, <laughs> sorry, I opened up an additional tab on that conversation. <laughs> Uh, I remember I remember hearing him interviewed on some podcast. It might have been writer's panel. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. But he did say that during season one, he realized the show was a love story and that Nora was the star of it. And that's kind of not the way it plays out until the end where you go, yeah, OK, I get what he was saying. Yeah, interesting. Um, but I really think Nora was not going to be. Uh, uh, I don't think she was intended to be anything near as important as she became. I think that was uh, Carrie Coon's talent. And I think she clicked with Justin Theroux and they were like, yeah, I want to see more of these two having scenes together. Yeah. Like what a good call. Like, holy cow. Like, yeah, she, I don't know what that show would have been. Maybe that's why I have such a hard time with season one is because it's not like, She's not that prevalent in it. It's all about like Kevin and his daughters partying and her his sons, you know, in a yeah, cult the guilty and his remnant. wife's in a cult. And like, like when season two comes, yeah, it's like you care about their relationship and they're taking like they're a family with their kid and like I guess not their kid, their sort of semi-adopted kid that eventually gets taken away. But you know, like maybe that's why I became more. That's a good. That's interesting. Um, have you read the book that the that season one's based on? I haven't. I I have it, and uh, a friend of mine said I, it's it's quite a bit different. Like the story's kind of the same, but the, some of the details are different. Like Kevin not being a cop, for example. Oh, interesting. Which seems so they... key to his first his character. Yeah, that's like. And so does it end but, the way season one ends? I, I might have to read the book because I'm very curious 
what the quote unquote source material what it's yeah about. i I don't know how closely the end matches up. I just know at the time they were saying they had covered the book in the first season. I I keep wanting I want to read it. And I always I always keep backing off because I, I love the show so much. Am I going to be irritated by everything that's different, even though the guy who wrote it was an executive producer on the show also? Oh, I didn't know that. That's it. I like when although I guess how much. I guess an EP probably has a bunch of control. Like if they took it into a way that was like he felt was wholly um like not honoring his work, he could probably step in, I guess, right? It was I mean, sometimes it's a ceremonial title, but he has yeah. a bunch of writing credits on the show. Like most of the oh. I think probably the majority of the episodes are credited to Damon Lindelof and Tom Parada and and uh uh, Parada is the the author. Okay, so well, that's he good. that's so it was clearly like that's interesting. I like that. That's that's kind of cool. Yeah, I, it it makes me feel a little. <laughs> it's weird how nervous I am about reading a book that my favorite show was based on. You know, I kind of get that. Like, I I watched a show called Normal People. It's like completely different than this show, but it's like a mini series. And I loved it so much, and it's based on a book, and everyone was saying, like, it's really true to the book, it's really true to the book. So I was like, you know what, I'll read the book. And it was kind of almost like the opposite experience of what you're fearing, to the point where I was like, oh, this is almost like word for word, like the miniseries I just watched. Like, down to the detail of, like, he passed her a cup, like, things like that. I'm like, I mean, like, I don't know. It was, I don't know what I was, I thought maybe the book would, like, oh, give me more stories like more you know background of the and then it wasn't that at all I was like oh no the show it was exactly the same and so with the leftovers <laughs> I'd be curious to see like if there's like different tangents in the book or like I don't know I think I might read it I'll report yeah. back I'll tell well, you if you should read it or not all right I appreciate that you you've accepted it will take me forever to read a book so <laughs> you know I I had a similar experience with Game of Thrones of of all things was when it took me forever to actually watch the series because I kept falling asleep during the first episode. Yeah. And then I finally was like, no, I have to dial in and I have to pay attention to what the characters are named and like because there are a million of them. Yeah, that's I could. And, I, Game of Thrones is never I could I couldn't <laughs> just too many people. <laughs> that's. I don't fault anybody, but when I, when, when I, then I got so into it, I'm like, I should read the books and see how they're different because they end up diverging quite a bit. But the first season is very close to the first book. So there, I am reading this giant ass book, you know, it's huge. And I know every plot point, which means I am just sitting through 50 or 60 pages of George R. R. Martin describing what tapestries look like or what color the female cast members nipples are oh, and i and so often he defaults to olive and i cannot even picture that i fantasy novels i just i just i can't i like almost everyone in my family read the game of thrones books and they watch or i guess that's not what they're called but whatever and they watch right. the show and I just, and I wanted to be a part of it. I was like, I'll try. And then I just bailed so hard. And I think I saw some of the first half of the last season or something. And I just remember being like, this seems kind of fun. And then, but they were all mad all the time. They're like, no, they're not honoring the characters. And I just was like, oh God, no matter what my opinion is on this, I'm wrong. 
I'm sorry, I like something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, it would seem kind of cool that the dragon came out of the ice and now it's like a zombie dragon. I'm like, shut up. <laughs> so yeah, Game of Thrones, I'll just never. And then everyone was, and you know what's funny? It's like, there's some some shows that people get into after they air because, you know, everyone talks about like, God, that was such a great finale. But like, it's so, you know what I mean? Like shows like The Wire, they have that legacy of like, no matter what year it is, someone's going to be talking about how great that show is and how great the ending right. was. The thing is, with Game of Thrones is like, it ended, everyone was mad, no matter who you were. And then it's like kind of the cultural conversation around it just like stopped because everyone was just so pissed. <laughs> just like, like if I tried to watch it now, like no one would want to talk to me about it because they're like, don't, oh God, don't remind me of that show. So it's so funny to me that they're doing a prequel because like, or yeah, I guess a prequel or whatever. It's like, they're trying to almost like bring it back, but are people even going to watch I, it? I, I don't know. I'm what is, I'm like the one person who liked the final season because, and I will admit it got steadily dumber. And this is this is not Game of Thrones talk, but I I at no point was mad at it. I'm like, well, they, you know, they all of a sudden they can travel really fast. Like they, <laughs> well, they, things used to take a season is now done in 10 minutes. Yeah. But I mean it got dumber, but I had I didn't have any problem with what people hated, but I feel like I watch, probably would be on your side because like being the lost veterans that we are like we're used to like defending final seasons of tv shows so like we've been through it all we're used to things just all of a sudden like no answers and then just not making sense but you're like no it's great i'll die for it (laughs) which does bring up a good leftovers point but as long as we're talking about other tv shows i know you watched the sopranos late because i remember you tweeting about that Yes, I watched like it used to be on A and E. Is that a is that is that a channel in America? Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it used to be on like reruns, and I remember my mom watched it while it was airing. But I would have been like, when did that show? When did the finale even air? Like early two thousand. I think. Yeah, I would have been like thirteen, so I wasn't like actively <laughs> watching The Sopranos with my mom because <laughs> she would be like, oh, leave the room. Um, but I did definitely saw episodes here and there, and so during the pandemic I was like I should like finally watch this from start to finish and I still haven't finished it I'm like partway through season six I wanted to get it done before the the movie that's coming out or came out um but I did get into it very late but I mean like I know how it ends and things like that like Mm -hmm. hard to be like a person who likes pop culture without knowing like how the Sopranos ends like that's a big reference point for most people um but yeah, I did get into it late. You're right. All right. I was going to ask if you had seen the movie and you have. So I, I won't spoil anything, but boy, that movie was disappointing. Really? I kind of it looked bad <laughs> when I saw the trailer. I was like, oh, oh, no, <laughs> I don't think this is what I want to watch. But I, I yeah, and it, yeah, it's ridiculous because David Chase was so mad they were putting it on, on HBO Max and theater, which I realized probably more hurts him financially than anything. He's like, oh, it's a film that's meant to be seen in theaters. It's like, no, it's directed by the guy who directed most of The Sopranos. He directs TV shows. This <laughs> looks like two episodes of a TV show. Yeah. So you okay? Is, so it is out. I wasn't certain. I wasn't certain if it was out or not yet. But um, so you didn't. You didn't love it. No, it's. Uh, they got off on a bad foot, and I'm gonna 
try to not spoil anything because I don't know exactly where you are with the series, but it's narrated by a dead character. A character who died in the series is reminiscing about this. And at one point mentions his own death. Oh no, that's what a weird choice. And it opens by showing, showing their tombstone, just so you know, it's a dead character. Oh no. Uh, and it's like the best stuff about the Sopranos is the little character beats and he tries to do that here but it's with characters that we don't know so it doesn't matter yet oh that's tough honestly when they first announced that I didn't I thought it was gonna be a series not a movie and it wasn't until like within the last like few months that I was like oh it's a movie like that's such a weird I feel like that's a very strange pivot I don't know why it would have worked better because ultimately the movie is an origin story of a character who is not in the TV series. Okay, this sounds so bad. <laughs> I'm like, maybe I'll never watch it. I just wanted to see it because little James Gandolfini, his little son, is in it. And yeah. I was rooting for him, but he he does know. a good. Everybody who is playing the the young version of of a character from the show is tremendous that is oh i love that that's great the only parts i liked were the parts that reminded me of a thing i liked yeah but uh like even the people who are like vera farmiga is is livia and Corey stoll is uncle junior and those are like people who i know what they look and sound like and they are still just nailing this oh i love that casting i like didn't look at the casting at all because I just was like, no, I want to finish the show and then I'll I'll figure it out later. But that those two, that's a good 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 job. And Unfortunate they, that the rest of it sounds almost like comedically bad, but yeah, it, oh, it was hard to get through. <laughs> they did have some people I have never seen before play like young Polly Walnuts and Silvio, and they were also very good. And like everything Polly did was very funny because all of all of his weird quirks that you sort of attribute to him being very old on the show mm-hmm. <laughs> come off. And, no, he's just a weird guy. <laughs> okay, <laughs> he, he was I, I, like this oh, when gosh. he was 20. <laughs> I'm okay. I'm going to, I'm going to finish the Sopranos in the next couple of weeks. This has inspired me. If only just so I can watch this like, weird, bad sounding movie. <laughs> you, you, you'll enjoy Vera Farmiga. I can promise you that. Oh, I love her so much. It's, oh, she's so great. Now, to to bring this Leftovers talk back to the Leftovers. Yeah, sorry. I'm really, I love you, TV so much. Any opportunity oh, to go Oh, me off, too. I Believe will. me, I am thrilled. <laughs> there is, it is taking every fiber of my being not to discuss the Americans with you. Um, I literally was thinking about that. I was like, if we even begin to talk about that show, this is going to be like a four hour long conversation. <laughs> so I'll, we'll just have to have a whole separate time for the Americans. Or even talking about Lost, I could go off forever. Um, we'll just have to do TV talk every once in a while. We'll have to figure out a, a lost day uh, based on the numbers. And, I was trying to think like April uh, 18th, 2023, but then there's a bunch of other numbers too. So. <laughs> uh, August 15 is good because that's the flight 815. Oh, okay. See you next August. That's right. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> Uh, you, you mentioned like being okay without having some questions answered. Mm-hmm. And I think the the leftovers really, they managed to do that in a way that didn't make people mad. 
Like, yeah. they were very explicit from the beginning that, like, no, we're never going to explain why people disappeared. Mm -hmm. um, and there was stuff like the that one issue of National Geographic that Kevin Sr. was obsessed with. Yeah, that never really. And yeah, right, there's no explanation for it besides that he was going through a bout of mental illness and possibly just yeah. fixating on something. Yeah, exactly. Part of me wonders if the reason why the Leftovers finale didn't spark kind of the same like vitriol <laughs> that the Lost finale did is wonder. like, I think Lost was a true, like one of the last like cultural phenomenons for like a TV show like that. I think it kind of just the time it aired and people were so invested, like their Saturday Night Live sketches about, you know, like things like that, mm -hmm. where the Leftovers never really had, and maybe it's because of, it was in an era of like most people just streamed shows or you know, like, it wasn't as, although, you know, Game of Thrones was on HBO, but I guess it's different. But um, I wonder if it's just because the people who watched The Leftovers and watched it until the end just got the show, you know, just like loved it so much, <laughs> knew that it was going to be like, it was never going to be like, this is what happened. This is what's happening now. And this is what will happen in the future. It's like always going to be kind of like, oh, <laughs> figure it out. <laughs> Um, right. It wasn't a yeah. crowd that was looking for spoilers. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But yeah, I, I, did you love the? Did you like how the show ended? I, I assume you I did, really did. I think, it. yeah. That that I think that's, and it's it's it was surprising. Like if you had asked me what I wanted to see in the finale, I don't think I would have said, "Oh, I'd like to see a time jump," and then only two of the characters are in it. I. But. Oh, yeah, it's I kind agree. of perfect. Yeah. It is perfect. I hate time jumps. I think I usually get so mad. I get so mad, especially when it happens. Like the final season of Parks and Rec is fine, but I hated that time jump. Like new, like a bunch of sitcoms do it, and it makes me so mad. And when dramas do it, sometimes I get pissed because it feels almost like a cop out. Like even I remember mm -hmm. watching the season three premiere of this, and it's what is it between season two and season three? It's I think it's three years, two years. There's a time yeah, jump, and it's yeah. like Lori's married to John. Like, there's all these things that I remember being a little bit like, I don't know, guys. Like, I'm a little annoyed that I didn't get to see any of the fallout of the huge, like, I don't know, cl not cliffhanger, but season two ends in a real wild way. And I was like, come on, man. But then I think it was almost perfect the way they did it. And then, yeah, like I said, when I'm usually not a fan of time jumps. So when I saw that old Nora <laughs> and then old <laughs> Kevin, I was like, oh, god damn it like i do not but i don't know the, the final conversation they have it's so beautiful it's so perfectly acted and i don't know one thing i wanted to ask you for sure is do you believe nora do you believe that the machine worked or do you think she freaked and bailed and just lived in australia for the next however like 30 years until kevin came knocking Wow, you know what? I never considered that because I I did believe her. Okay, I believed her too, um, wholeheartedly. <laughs> my brother, and I didn't, honestly, I just assumed everyone believed her until I was talking to my brother about it. He's someone who I forced to watch The Leftovers. And he was like, no, she got scared, she bailed, and she lived in Australia, and that whole last speech is a lie. She's lying to him. And I just was like, what? <laughs> like, I just, like, couldn't believe that he had, like, the complete opposite take that I had and then I went online and like people are kind of split but then the general consensus is like well it doesn't matter 
because she's there now she's with kevin now yada 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 but i was like that is yeah i was the same thing i didn't consider it until my brother was like no she lied <laughs> i was like what yeah i i hadn't heard that as a theory before and it yeah i mean not only do i just uh trust nora in all things I don't think if she makes up a story, she makes up a world where her family is okay without her. Yeah, exactly. And I was, I was taking note of it because I hadn't rewatched this show since it aired because it is a very heavy show. I would maybe rewatch mm-hmm. a couple episodes because sometimes people would start talking about it and I'd be like, oh, I gotta go rewatch that. But in that final season, there's a bit where um, Nora says, "I don't mind," like she was just adamant about that. And then the whole thing where Matt's calling her the bravest girl in the on earth or the bravest girl in the world. It just made me be like, no, they're building it to show that she goes through with it because she's brave and she wants to see her kids. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, the science of how she got back to like this, that world, I don't, I don't know. I'm not going to question it. I don't know. But yeah, I believe right. her there, there's no way to make that satisfying. So just accept yeah. what they give you. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those things where it's like, in Lost, it's like the smoke monster's a guy. Just don't worry about it. <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> the devil but it's not <laughs> okay yeah with that as a possibility i don't see her ever turning away like i yeah. that's that is i don't think that's in her character for a second yeah i think it's just because when she goes into the machine right before they cut to the like the time jump she starts to yell and it's almost as if she's going to start yelling stop or you know whatever but i don't know i think she probably was just yelling yeah probably hurt yeah probably felt weird <laughs> it was one of those things dudes do sometimes where where they yell to indicate how uh how ready they are for something <laughs> let's go that's what she was gonna yell <laughs> oh i love nora me too okay so well, who's your favorite non-nora character I'm assuming Nora is the first choice for everybody. Oh, but. yeah. She's never, I mean, she's got to be number one. Um, I mean, I want to say Kevin, because, um, I mean, that's the obvious choice. But I'm trying to think of someone like a more on the fringe character that I love. Um, oh, man. I really love Kevin's dad, Kevin Garvey Sr. Oh, he's so he's good. Just so crazy. And he has big um what's his name arlo like like justified like um braylon given's dad he's very similar energy to him just like (laughs) a really withered old man who's just absolutely crazy um i just really i yeah i really love his dad i think that would be one of my favorite characters he's just so weird he's right that's one character that i was really surprised to care about uh Damon Lindelof has a lot. I don't know what his life was like, but he has a lot of father stuff in his work. Oh my God, does he ever? I rewatched Lost during the pandemic because I just I'm very consistent, and I was just like, not one character has a good relationship with their dad. Every single one has some like truly tragic backstory with their dad. It was insane. <laughs> There's literally an episode of Lost titled "All the Best Cowboys Have Daddy Issues." Yeah. Like God, just go to therapy, man. Like the whole writers' room just needed to go to like free therapy, talk out their dad issues. Um, but yeah, Kevin Garvey is like the scene, or Kevin Garvey, like his dad, 
is he's I mean he's not the best dad but there's like some really moving scenes especially in that final season where he goes like I love you and he's like I love you too dad like just he clearly cares about his son he just has a lot of stuff going on in his head he's just trying to you know save Australia from a flood like he's just (laughs) got a lot of stuff going on (laughs) I really do love his dad they're badly broken men um yeah (laughs) and and I you know and maybe this is why I'm so dialed into Damon Lindelof is uh, unlike every other man my age, I also <laughs> I have bad dad issues. So <laughs> it is almost impossible to win me over with one of those characters. So at like, the end of even Lost, a, did you care for Kristen Shepard or were you still like that guy's a dick? I liked him on the island when it wasn't clear if he was a ghost or a reanimated like a person who'd come <laughs> back to life. Yeah. But it wasn't until the final season when I finally was willing to let flashback Christian Shepard be a guy who was actually trying in my mind. Yeah, that's extreme. And so fair. that was, you know, 100 episodes in six years. And this was significantly <laughs> less. Yeah. And yeah. like, I mean, whatever Bradley Whitford's on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I'm always like, no, don't give him the benefit of the doubt, Jake. Oh, I know. And that's why I was so happy he didn't come back in that. But not to spoil things, but he didn't come back in the final season. I was like, no, Holt is your dad. (laughs) Just really projecting on him. Um, Yeah, yeah. I. It's weird that in a Damon Lindelof piece of work, the dad isn't like a capital B bad guy. And that's what's kind of nice about the leftovers. Yeah, he's not a bad guy. Yeah, it's. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's tragic in a lot of ways without it being, like, they could have been so heavy-handed with that character. He's a bad dad, he's mentally ill. He he could have been a very special episode on on another series. And he's, when he's trying to go to Australia to learn all the dances, it's, it's, it's this genuinely bonkers premise where you, can see what's wrong with him trying to do it but it's like oh please just let him have this yeah you like root for him in a way you wouldn't normally root for a dad character in any of Lindelof's death um yeah you're just kind of like oh god I hope he doesn't die in the desert right now (laughs) like just someone get someone get him (laughs) like he's and Watchmen was their dad stuff I can't even remember there had to have been I assume there was but it was I mean, it was so focused on 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 uh, on her and his he's almost entirely men with bad dads. Yeah, that's your. Yeah. You're, uh, you're you know, it sort of got into days. into genealogy a bit, but there wasn't really a. Uh, a father figure there, that really sucked. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there were the the symbolic father figures, like finding out her mentor had been in the clan and everything. But. <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah, you're right. There was a father figure that really sucked right out of the gate there. <laughs> if, if you are older than a man, if, if you're a man older than 50 in a Damon Lindelof thing, and you're not played by Terry O'Quinn, you're probably a monster. <laughs> yeah, that's a good call. Um, Sorry, I keep, yeah, I keep talking about different shows, but The Leftovers, yeah, like, even Kevin's not a bad dad. Like, he's not super, like, he tries. He, like, it's the same thing. It's like, he just has a lot going on, and his kids are adults, so it's kind of, you can give him the benefit of the doubt for some of that. Yeah. Like, yeah he can go off to Australia, but it's, he's, like, always on the verge of, like, complete mental collapse. So, 
and in fairness to him, his kids are nightmares. Yeah, they're rough. I Tommy, I never was on board for, even though like I just ugh, his storylines I was always checked out of. I don't yeah, know. That was, yeah, that was even going back on season one, I think it's because he plays so small a role going forward that I, he and Liv Tyler both sort of, like, Liv Tyler's character does not 100% make sense to me as the show goes on. Yeah, she's always been a, like, her, like, um, like, her flip from being, like, guilty remnant newbie to, like, their leader who's a, just go just lost her mind and is going to go threaten to bomb it you know it's it's unclear because most of that happens off screen you know it happens mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden she just reappears and she's all of a sudden yeah. their leader and she has all these plans and you're like whoa when did this happen but i think some stuff because season three is shorter than the other seasons i think it's eight episodes when the others are yeah. ten which wasn't a thing HBO decided, which again is very different from Lost, where they had a definite number. So I think a lot of stuff that wasn't key to the most important characters, I think ended up just being a casualty of of having two fewer episodes. Oh, you know what? I bet you're right. Yeah, they couldn't like devote an episode to to May. She and does she even does she die off screen too? No, they kind of show the drone. Strike, yeah. Right? Yes. Still very like, whoa, she's dead now. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, she never quite gelled, but you know who we haven't talked about? Patty. Oh my God, I can't believe we've gone this long without talking about Patty. Oh, when the show started, that was kind of the thing that they seized on for marketing was the guilty remnant. Like the year it premiered, they had. They had people at Comic-Con wearing uh, all white and fake smoking because you can't smoke indoors anywhere and (laughs) just carrying pads of paper and not talking, but they just follow people around. And that was their viral marketing. I kind of love, I mean, it's a very easy Halloween costume, so I can kind of see why they would lean into it. Um, (laughs) But it's interesting how much the Guilty Remnant doesn't, I mean, it matters throughout the whole show, but it's never... I don't know. I feel like their their whole deal isn't ever fully explained, you know? I mean, it is, but I kind of like that they're just this weird entity that exists in the real world. They weirdly exist in the afterlife Kevin creates, like, at least in the, in the third season one. Um, yeah, it's... God, I love Patty. She's so unlikable in a way I can only, like... And Dowd, right? Yeah. God, she's so good at being like just a monster. And watching the first season, every time it seems like she's going to talk in a scene. She is so good at making it seem like she's gonna say something and then not. Oh, like God, every yeah. time it's like, oh, she's about to. Nope. She <laughs> she is such an authentic yeah, she's a here's the thing I was thinking about the guilty remnant. And uh I'm I'm a little afraid to get political, although I I, I feel like uh, based on on knowing you from Twitter, you're you're I'm not going to have unpleasant surprises in this regard. <laughs> I'm a mega supporter. Should I have said that at the beginning? Oh, son of a gun! <laughs> you know it's not there are there are Trump supporters in Canada. Isn't that crazy? Anyways, I'm not that one is of them. wild. <laughs> yeah, That's... I think they're almost worse than American Trump supporters because they're going out of their way 
to support someone they can't even vote for. Um, but anyway, sorry. Yeah, no, I'm. Yeah, I think you probably have a good idea what my politics are. <laughs> but the the guilty remnant makes more sense to me in 2021 in this world of of MAGA and and anti-vaxxers and people who are gonna. Uh, you know, take the diarrhea horse paste instead of the the free vaccine. <laughs> like there, the guilty remnants deal is never explained, but there are people dealing with a world that doesn't make sense to them in the most antagonistic way possible. Yeah, like the whole. And deal I feel is... like we see. Yeah, oh, sorry. Go on. I was just gonna say, like in season one, their whole deal is explained as just being like, "We're here to remind you." Which I don't know. It's like no one forgot. <laughs> but that that makes more sense to me, and it is maybe more of an American thing to encounter it on a daily basis. Where there is a section of of the right wing that absolutely would behave that way. I mean, there's they're they're not that different from uh, you know, <laughs> who is it? Charlie Daniels, who every day for the last seven years of his life tweeted Benghazi ain't going away. Uh, (laughs) Or the the woman who tweeted today, I don't care what Biden and Fauci say, we're going to celebrate Christmas this year. And it's like, what what is this imagined persecution? But (laughs) watching it in, in 2021, I'm like, yeah, no, the guilty remnant are the guy who pulled my mask off at a gas station and called me a pussy. You know, that's the that's the yeah. the modern guilty remnant, and they do not seem like such a stretch anymore. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't think I've ever thought of it in like a, a like comparing it to like a political party, but it is interesting in that like those afterlife alternate universes thing. Both times it was like Patty was running for president. And in the second one, Kevin is president. He, she, she's his, what, secretary of defense or something? Like, yeah. they, they kind of <laughs> lean into it in a way that I feel very stupid that I've never thought of it like that before. Well, and it, I mean, the parallel didn't necessarily exist at the time. Like, the, the final season That's was 2017, but that was, it was probably shot mostly the year before. So I was going to say, it in was, a world where they thought Hillary Clinton would win. Yes, yeah, it's uh, it it's it's uh uh, I, there's a better way to say it than precognitive, which makes it sound like they had my like telepathic superpowers, <laughs> but I can't think of the 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 word that's better than that. But yeah, like I, I yeah, I can't think I, of the word either. <laughs> I don't know. There, there's just this pointless cruelty to the the guilty remnant that I think we see a lot of, uh. And, and, you know, I'm sure you have you have MAGA people in Canada. You you maybe see some of this, too, although my vision of Canada is is that everybody is pleasant to each other and they are constantly quoting the kids in the hall. Oh, I'm sorry uh, to break the that beautiful vision of our country, but it's it's bad up here, too. <laughs> oh, it, now, next you're going to tell me Will Arnett isn't on the currency. <laughs> well, that's true. He's on every toonie. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah. But, yeah, that's... I'll give you two, two Will Arnett's for a Michael Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. I know which Arrested Development cast members are from Canada. <laughs> and it's just those two. 
<laughs> it really is. I was yeah. hoping I'd have a curveball for you, but yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it just says too. It's a very Canadian thing to know what actors are Canadian, and I don't. It's like I don't know why, but it's every we always know like he's Canadian, you know. Anytime you see a a movie, like oh yeah, he's Canadian. It's like it doesn't matter. <laughs> there, there, and I have not lived everywhere, obviously, because I'm not an immortal. Uh, but at least in the Midwest, there's a smaller version of that where you are very aware of what famous people came from your home state. Oh, I love that. I don't know why. That's great. Um, I'm not as into that as some people are, which is weird considering that's literally all I think about. <laughs> but my, I, yeah, my friend Rachel always knows when somebody was from Michigan or anywhere near Michigan. <laughs> That's like such a specific, yeah, in Canada, just like we're from the whole country. Just like we're not specific at all. I think it's because there's, I feel like there's state pride in the U.S. where like what state you're from matters. And I sometimes feel like in Canada, it's all just like, who cares what province you live in? It's just like we're all in Canada, whatever. (laughs) It's fine. But Tekno Maslani, we need need to get to that. my home city. Who's that? Tatiana Maslani, the orphan black. Oh, wow. She is She's from awesome. my hometown. Yeah. I have friends Are you that friends did with improv her? with her. No, I, I'm oh. like one degree away from her. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's fun. Well, if like you do meet her. Tell her, hey, from you. <laughs> if you do meet her at like a town council meeting. Yeah. I assume she comes back for those. Tell her I said hi. I will. I will do that. One time I was on Tumblr, an app that like no one uses, but I'm still on. And there was like a gift set, GIF, whatever, set of someone made of some like old footage of her doing improv in high school. I don't know how they found it. And I could literally see my friend in the GIF. And I was baffled. <laughs> it was the weirdest thing. I was like, holy cow, she's very famous. I didn't realize she was that famous. She is. She's going to be in Marvel. So, yeah. Anyways, that's a huge, yeah. huge tangent. That well, believe me, it's the kind of tangent I enjoy. Yeah. Um, I'm trying. I I saw a a Canadian sci-fi show that she was on before she got famous. I saw an episode on YouTube because there's a couple of other actresses who got semi-famous who are on it, and I can't remember it, but I feel like everybody was wearing wearing all white and running around a lot, and there were bad laser effects. I I don't want to talk poorly about my country because I mean we had Shit's Creek. There's a few Canadian shows that kind of broke through, but oh, lot, absolutely. you can almost always tell when a movie or a TV show was shot in Canada. There's just something about it that is always like, oh man, this was shot in Canada. Was like you just know, and a lot of Canadian TV shows aren't always um, the best, <laughs> but. You know what happens. Like there's Murdoch Mysteries, which has been running for I think 400 years, that like every <laughs> Canadian actor ever has been on, and it's just so weird and bad, and it's just yeah, Canada's output is strange. <laughs> Isn't that the one that Christian Brune is on that they always make fun of him for on yeah, Comedy Bang sure Bang? I, that was like the most like comforting thing I've ever heard is him just like talking shit about Murdoch Mysteries on a podcast <laughs> that I listened to. I was like, he gets it. <laughs> it's a very Canadian <laughs> feeling. 
it's somehow always on, but you don't know like what its actual area. Like it's just one of it's so strange. But yeah, Christian <laughs> Breen. You know, speaking of podcasts, you know, we sort of talked about how the leftovers was not necessarily a like a, a phenomenon like like Lost or Game of Thrones was. Mm-hmm. But I still feel like once a month I am hearing somebody on a podcast say to either a guest or or one of the hosts say, you know, the leftovers, that was actually pretty good. Like <laughs> Maybe it seemed like a show things, that people yeah. were aware of and wrote fact. off. And, yeah, but it's not a maybe it's because it's on HBO, so it's not it doesn't have like the urgency of oh it just came out on Netflix. Yeah. And everybody and but it seems like it's one of those things that people are still discovering, just not en masse like uh, like like we've seen with like like happened with Breaking Bad. Yeah. That oh man, I haven't heard anyone talk about it on podcast. I'm listening to the wrong listening to the wrong cast. I would love to I, listen to anyone talk about that show. <laughs> man, I oh, if somebody did, yeah, I would, I would very much like to just hear anytime it comes up, my ears perk up, like oh, maybe they'll talk about it for forty minutes now. Yeah, <laughs> and there's never be talk- some rewatch, a rewatch of that show somewhere on Apple Podcasts. I guess it's just whether or not it's people you care to listen to. Yeah, there's a couple. I mean, that were going on at the time, and they followed me on Twitter, but they never invited me to be a guest. How dare they? You were an expert. And that was one of two times that I have just nakedly campaigned for a show's marketing department to notice me. Because <laughs> that was that was back when my website was almost successful. Mm-hmm. And I was doing the, these incredible, I mean, season one, there was not a lot of internet discussion. And I was doing these very long, detailed recaps and discussion. And uh, they were sending leftovers bloggers like care packages every week, and they'd have like burner phones in them where you'd suddenly get a text message from the guilty remnant. Oh and like, there were, and everybody was posting them on Twitter. And I'm like, son of a bitch, why am I not making the cut? And well, I was tweeting at them all the time. You just had like, to be on some agent's list or something, you know, like some stupid thing, and that's how you could have got it. Oh, that would have been neat to get. I, I, I they they blew it. They're bad. It's they, one of the, they messed up. One of the great shames of my life. <laughs> Although I do, and this is a, a different HBO thing, but as long as I can be, if I can be successful on uh, as a internet personality, it is possible that there is a reference to my recaps in season two of Westworld. Really. Yes. Oh my goodness! I'll, I have to watch Westworld now. I'll 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 tell you what it is, and then tell you how it's possible it may it may actually be a real thing because I just assumed it was crazy, and then I talked to somebody. But yeah, uh, Ed Harris's character on the show is his whole thing is he's he's going around and killing robots, which is technically very easy because they're not allowed to fight back in the first season. But he still thinks like he's a badass. So I I would always call him the cheat code cowboy or to abbreviate it CCC. Mm-hmm. And then in season two, somebody knocks him out and puts him on a horse that is branded with three C's on its haunch. What? And I'm like, oh, there's a che-. And I'm like, 
that is that is pure arrogance of me to think that's anything other than a coincidence. But I have a producer friend who's been trying to help me sell scripts to no avail. Uh, and she had worked a lot with Lisa Joy, who is the one of the showrunners on Westworld. She's uh, she's married to Christopher Nolan's brother, who is the other uh, showrunner okay. on the show. Okay. Jonathan Nolan, I think. And she's actually kind of the supposedly the main creative force from what I've heard. And so this, uh, we, we were talking, talking about it uh, at one point, And I remember I interviewed Lisa Joy for my website about six years ago. Mm-hmm. She, she wrote a graphic novel that I got sent a comp of, and I interviewed her, I interviewed her about it. So it's still not definitive, but she is a, she at one point knew that I existed. So it's not, it's not impossible. I believe it 100%. That is the level of confidence. That's those two, that's, that's, that's too much of a coincidence. Especially if you have like a direct connection, that's nuts. I believe it 100%. Oh, bless you. I need somebody <laughs> to believe my crazy theory. The, the leftovers board. never want. They never once sent me a burner phone. I never got a tote bag. That's infuriating. I, 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 I'm a very old man, so I don't know if I, if I, if this is a thing I say or if I'm using it correctly, but I was actively horny on Maine for the leftovers. (laughs) And you know what? I feel like we talked about the Americans so much too, that I also feel like we should have gotten some sort of like some sort of like secret spy box or something or like a picture of Ronald Reagan like something like I never saw anyone talking about the Americans until way after it ended and I was like me and EJ were we were there like where was yeah our... you were the only person I knew who was watching it yeah and likewise and I've like since told people to watch it and some of the like I had I told two friends to watch it and they were watching it during like during quarantine when we're in like proper lockdown here and they we started like a group chat and they were like texting me every night and it made me so happy to finally have someone (laughs) yes like it just was oh my gosh yeah so I feel the same way we were both actively horny for the Americans on Maine and we got nothing (laughs) out of it it's 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 very I couldn't even get anything from Ultra City Smiths the 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 stop motion noir comedy that's on AMC right now. <laughs> Maybe you have There's, to like play it cool. Maybe that's how we get free stuff. Is like we act indifferent to things. Maybe. And that's very, I, that's very hard for me. <laughs> when I like something, it is a very apparent. Right. <laughs> it feels like going the wrong direction to pretend I don't really care that much and have them go, oh no, please hold on. Please. <laughs> please watch our show. Random person. <laughs> Hello, we're the Doom Patrol, and we would really like to win you over. <laughs> oh, man. I'd be like, okay, we'll see. Do we know if Lindelof has a show in the, in the, like, is he working on anything right now? What's I don't know. Let me. Wily Devil. You know what? I'm going to pop on IMDb and check right now. I know he's done, he wrote a, I mean, I know he wrote a couple movies over the, but I think he kind of shines on TV. His movies have been sort of 
Yeah, I think he's, like, yeah, he's... franchise stuff, movie. like he did, he did an Aliens movie, um, it, he wrote it, uh, I can't, it was Prometheus, I think was the one he wrote, um. Oh, yeah, he wrote Cowboys and Aliens, I did not know that, that is, oh, boy. Wait, he did? Apparently, I'm on his Wikipedia, which has never been wrong, it says he wrote... <laughs> Cowboys and Aliens, and you were right, yeah, he wrote Prometheus, and the Star Treks, and yeah, I hated Prometheus a lot, though, and that movie made me feel, like, ill, <laughs> I don't know, I didn't love it. It's, it's very upsetting in a lot of ways. Yeah, I he does not in have the theater, any and I wanted to leave. That's interesting, maybe he's taking a break, Watchmen was so successful, he probably is just toasting. Yeah, I imagine he's in kind of a position to, 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 like, I know The Leftovers wasn't a giant hit, but Watchmen was, and I think now HBO is probably, he's going to be in blank check territory with them. I think you're right, yeah, like, I would see that. And I mean, like, The Leftovers was very critic, like, critically successful, like, yeah, I guess. Yeah, and I think that's more important to HBO in a lot of ways because they don't have to worry about selling advertising or you know they they seem to generally be happy if people are say if yeah if critics are saying good things about a show they if the name's getting out there a lot of times that's enough for them yeah yeah he's had um, a, a good hit rate with me in his his uh lost onwards career i'm unfamiliar with what he did before then Apparently he wrote on Crossing Jordan. Which was, yeah. I guess Crossing Crossing Jordan, uh, <laughs> which I have not really seen, but he has a thing where in the third episode of every show he does, it's a focus on a character who's been sort of a supporting character previously. Ooh. Um, which I, was kind of the which was kind of the whole formula of Lost, but it was the first time yeah. they did it. And uh, in Watchmen, that's the episode that's all about Gene Smart, who has not appeared yet in the show. And on The Leftovers, that's the big Matt episode. And apparently that's also the case in Crossing Jordan. That is, that, I can't believe I've never picked up on that before, that it's always the third episode. That's interesting. That's, what a guy. I wonder if sort of all the all the numerology in Lost is actually like if he's always doing that in the third episode. Maybe he has maybe he has his own set of numbers he's yeah. walking around with. <laughs> that would yeah maybe. I'm on his Wikipedia and his acting credits in for the leftovers is he was the man in the koala suit in the episode Good Day Melbourne, <laughs> and in Lost he played the role of John Locke's hand in an episode apparently what a strange <laughs> man <laughs> i wonder if it was like a close-up of lock drawing something yeah or... it must be yeah i would bet that's what it was that's very interesting like, like terry o'quinn has terrible handwriting or something yeah <laughs> they're like oh god we gotta get Linda lock in there <laughs> terry o'quinn has a twin brother who lives in my town what like An he literally twin has a twin a brother. No, well, apparently, I mean, the guy goes around, and it's been, he might not even, 
live here anymore, but during Lost, you would often run into him at bars downtown and he would tell you Terry O'Quinn was his twin brother and be like, yeah, I buy that. Wow, I love, I really I don't know anything about Terry O'Quinn as a person, but he has a very interesting presence on screen. I always loved Locke episodes and Lost. I think yes, he's, they're always the most interesting ones. And people who work with him tend to bring him back over in a, like for other projects. Yeah, I know Damon Lindelof didn't do that, but he hasn't really done that with anybody. Yeah. Like I, think I don't he think wants there's like the loss to not touch him anymore. Like I think he like actively like wants nothing that not to like taint off his future projects a bit. But you know the Watchmen. I the only person from the leftovers in that is, is Regina King. Yeah. You know there's you, you would think he'd be he'd be excited, but he seems to just kind of scrub it clean and start over every time. But, like, I think Regina King, he probably, like, worked with her on The Leftovers. Like, her story was, like, it was a good story, but, like, I just didn't think it was everything it could be. And she's so good that he probably was like, mm-hmm. oh, hell yeah, I'll put you in a leading role in the next, like, <laughs> like, I feel like Regina King probably, like, she could turn down anything. Like, she's so talented. So they must have, like, mm-hmm. had, they must have jived a bit or, like, vibed, you know? Yeah, I, I think that's. And maybe, too, it was a case of we already rewrote what the show was going to be because one actress was so amazing. We can't do it a second time. Especially if they, like, don't know if they're ever going to get more episodes. Yeah. I kind of, yeah. That would be very stressful, writing The Leftovers and not knowing if you'll get renewed. Because, like, how do you wrap up a season every time? Yeah. There's, uh... Shoot, now I can't think of what show it was, but it was... It was always ending on a cliffhanger, but they never knew if it was going to be renewed. And at some point it was just like, please start, start, uh, stop thinking long game and just be realistic here. But I can't remember what show now. So it's a bad point. Weirdly, weirdly Parks and Rec used to do that. Oh, yeah. To Mike Sure talk about it where he'd be like, we always would write ourselves into a corner. But then he'd be like, but we also never knew if we were being renewed. And I was just like, as a viewer, that is very stressful, sir. Like, (laughs) I mean, you don't always want it to be wrapped up in a tidy bow because then it's like, well, what is the next season going to be? Like, the reason why I lost, like, because I watched it, like I said, like, while it was airing. And I have so many friends who've watched it now when it's on Netflix. And I'm, like, weirdly, I don't know what the word is, like, bitter about it. Because I'm like, you didn't have to wait nine months between season four and season five where the island just disappears. Like, you just got to watch, right? Like, you know what I mean? So I get why they had, like, big cliffhangers in a series finale because you want to be, like, anticipating the next season but with Parks and Rec I'm like it's a sitcom like just let me live (laughs) I don't want to be stressed um one thing we haven't talked about with the leftovers that I like really want to talk about even for one second is how good the score is like Max Richter is so great and like most people probably know like um what's the song the nature of daylight it's in so many movies it's used really well in Arrival um but I didn't know it until like sort of recently that he also did all the music in the leftovers and the score is so beautiful in this show. It, so it, that there's that, that, that one sort of, that sort of theme that starts with the tinkly piano. And if I weren't so untalented, yeah. I would try to, it, every time it is effective every time it happens. Every time. And I think sometimes in lost, especially the music manipulated the hell out of you. And I always fell for it. Like, 
with a certain cue of the one song that always played when a character died, <laughs> I could like start <laughs> crying, I'm sure. Um, and I was, I'm always like, I always try to be conscious of that because like one of my favorite musicians, he once like was talking about how sometimes he doesn't like to authorize his songs for films and stuff because it can be like emotionally manipulating and it doesn't seem fair if it's not earned. Um, and the thing about The Leftovers is I feel like every time it's earned, like every time they use the emotional music and the cues, it's it's perfectly executed. Like, I don't know, it, it always gets me. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would agree with that. It was and that was was one of those things that was in place from the beginning, too. There was a lot of a lot of things they were working out in the first season. But the the score from day one was. Oh, God, beautiful. I'm glad you mentioned that. That was so. And in season three, I think it is the first few episodes, the score or like the theme song is like it's different every episode. And one is like a, I think it's the perfect, is it the perfect strangers theme song or yep. like a riff on it? And it's so funny and it's, oh God, it's so great. I just love that they mix it up and like how every season has a different theme. Like, yeah, I just love it so much. I just, it's so talented. That match. I like the, the, I think the second to last episode of the series, they reused the season one theme, but with the new visuals. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I think the se- the season one theme, I love the music to it, but that opening credit sequence in the first season was so off-putting. It was like the the painting of people in pain. Yeah, I like <laughs> the, the ones with like the disip- or the departed as being like the stars and all that in the later seasons, for sure. Yeah, the first one, I think maybe they're just like, this is what you're getting into. <laughs> season yeah. one, episode one, here you go. <laughs> then when season two comes around, it's like, okay, you toughed it out. We're going to get weird. Yeah, hold on. And our theme song is going to be jaunty now. Yeah, it's going to be a country song. Yeah, I just, oh, I love the music. Yeah, it's so good. I'm such a sucker for for that kind of stuff. Yeah, that, that weirdly is not something I often, uh, that often jumps out to me, but th- this is one of the few shows where I'm I'm so aware of the score and the themes. Yeah. And yeah, yeah it, that is it plays a role for sure. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because that is tremendous. Mm-hmm. I I feel like we are doing a disservice if we don't at least mention maybe the well the the alternate reality episodes are clearly the weirdest episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh and I have this theory that in the first one when he he gets that note that that tells him to choose his outfit and choose his path. Mm-hmm. I think each of those, this is going to be the nerdiest thing I've ever sent into a microphone. And I've done 41 episodes where I talk about third tier DC Comics characters. Uh, Each of the outfits represents a different Dungeons and Dragons character class. Oh, my gosh. He's got got his policeman's uniform, which would be a paladin. He's got uh, the guilty remnant, which would be a monk. Uh, I can't think of, can't think of the others right now but i i suit where he's an assassin like the suit's the assassin yeah he's a rogue and then the other one the last one the cop yeah there was another one that i can't remember but i know i matched it up to the guilty remnant oh there's like a there's a almost like a not a priest there's the thing with like um oh my god i can't think of what it is it's a religious, it's something religious. I'm clearly, oh yeah, the I, vestments. I'm, 
Yes, that's yeah. Part. That we so he'd be a cleric. So yeah, they're all Dungeons and Dragons character classes. <laughs> Would it surprise you to say that never crossed my mind because I know nothing about Dungeons and Dragons? <laughs> I I regret that it crossed my mind, but. <laughs> I mean, it adds up. So would you take that then if, like, depending on which, you know, what item? I mean, it lines up, but, like, what he chose to wear sort of dictated what his, I don't know, like, what his mission became in each of those. Although I would say the one where he's a cop and he's forced to, like, like, when he chooses the cop and then he just forced to sing karaoke, that's, I don't know, I don't know how the outfit relates to that, but... (laughs) But the first one, yeah, the assassin, he has to, yeah, he has to assassinate someone. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I think, and I, I think you kind of see that in the second one where there are two of him who had different paths. The most powerful man in the world and his identical twin brother, God, which is a great rules. episode. That episode rules from second one to the end. Like, God, oh, I love it so much. I Like, I just rewatched it today and the whole time I was like, Yes, this is everything I love about this show. It's so there are, weird. Oh, <laughs> there's so many crazy ideas and so many powerful scenes, but also in order to get into his bunker, he has to scan his penis. That's and the so... funniest thing in the entire... Like, the thing I love about it, same with like Watchmen had it, like The Leftovers definitely has it, Lost had it. There's moments that are just like pure comedy played so seriously. Like, it's truly, like, life or death in that scene. It's like, he has to get in there to stop his alternate self or his twin from, like, setting off nukes. And that's what he has to do to get into the building. Like, that is objectively hilarious. Like, that is, and the sound it makes, oh, God, it's so funny. It's just, (laughs) I don't know, like, what their brains are, but I appreciate the hell out of it. Like, I, I laugh every time. It's just so wild. And when he's cutting his twin up it's like what's song? it's a beach boy song it's like god only knows that plays or something like it's all just yeah, so, so tonally all over the place but it works <laughs> oh god i love it and then the visual of him and patty on the roof holding hands when the nukes are going off like the missiles are all coming at them is like one of the most beautiful frames on tv i swear to god i love that it's so it, what a it's shot. like a perfect hour of tv Oh, it's so good. It's so entertaining. It's so, yeah. It's just weird. I, I love it. I think so one, of, one of the other ones that takes the crown for, for weird and funny for me is also in season three, the Matt on the sex boat episode. Oh, that one's so, when he has the conversation with God. Yes. And it's just and, that, <laughs> it's just, it's so, it's like, well, Jesus had a twin. That's who they saw come out of the, that's, what are you talking about? Like, just how, like, dismissive he is of Matt, who's devoted his whole life to the church and all. He's like, what are you, you stupid? What are you talking about? <laughs> oh. yeah, it's, it's so, that's the one with the best credit scene ever, where somebody is building the credits as a vigorous hand job guy. Yeah. <laughs> Which, if role. I'm going to, if I'm going to be completely honest, David Lindelof would have been a legend if that had been his appearance in the season. Oh my god, that would have been fantastic. He gets to be John Locke's hand in Lost. And then he gets to be vigorous. <laughs> <laughs> this guy in Leftovers. 
which oh would God. then imply that it was John Locke on the boat. Oh my God, the crossover it was begging for. <laughs> um, we really do need to talk about Lost sometime. It doesn't even have to be recorded for your podcast, but I, after my rewatch, I had so many thoughts and nowhere to put them. So some August 15th, I swear to God. I'll be oh. at my phone on Skype waiting. <laughs> a- anytime. I am I still have a lot of a lot of thoughts about Lost Banked and Oh, uh, oh man. I to this re-watch. day, anytime my dad wants to make me annoyed or mad, his like go to like cause he thinks it's funny, even though I get genuinely pissed every time. His go to is to say, Well, you know, the thing about Lost is like just they were whole they were dead the whole time. Oh my god! <laughs> it's such a stupid thing, and he's doing it and like like he's not. My dad is. I do not have dad issues on like every um like Lindelof character. My dad's a very good person, um. But every time he does that, I almost have to like leave the room <laughs> because I just like immediately launch into like. Well, actually, it's season six. It was a separate time. Like, you know, like right. say everything that happened on the island happened. Like I'm just. Like spitting they, phrases from the show. They tell you that in the finale with words. Christian Shepard yeah, says those words. But nobody listens. And he, I don't think, he, I think he maybe watched like five episodes of Lost. He just knows it's like, like a trigger for me. <laughs> yeah, so it's about like over a decade later. And anytime if someone makes that, says that, I just like, I can't not correct them. I have a friend so, who yes, does I'm that with, yeah, every time. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I remember Sarah Silverman ye- yelling at people on Twitter who said that. Oh, I loved how much she loved Lost. She was like her, and I think like Jimmy Kimmel too, maybe because they were dating at the time or whatever. But yeah, they were both big Lost heads. Yeah, he. It. And that's part of the reason the uh, I think some of the misconceptions about the finale happened is they immediately had an after show hosted by Jimmy Kimmel. I mm-hmm. don't know if that was part of the package in Canada. I definitely watched, uh, but, yeah, I watched that for sure. But I feel like he didn't quite grasp, like, it felt like he watched the finale at the same time we did while he was getting ready for a show. So I think he may mm. have missed, because he asked some questions that led me to believe, like, oh, you were approving monologue jokes while you were watching the episode. <laughs> yeah. You fool. And fool, I think I he... Remember... Oh, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I, I, I just kind of remember him saying something like, so do you think they were dead all along and the cast sort of being, oh, it could mean anything because they're tired of as- answering questions like that. <laughs> like every time Brian Cranston says, I don't know, Walter White could have survived the end of Breaking Bad. <laughs> it's because he's been asked that a million times and he needs something just, to say. <laughs> he just wants you to go away. Well, I remember <laughs> like um, read, either I read an interview or I heard it on a podcast. They're the same thing to me nowadays. Um, but one of them was talking about how they regret that after the final scene and kind of like when the credits were running is footage of just the wreckage of the planes on the beach. Mm-hmm. Cause they were like, Oh no, people are going to think we're saying like, Oh, they all die. But their intention was something like, since them, you were like connected to the show, like, or if you really like the show, that finale is like a real heavy hitter of like tears. So they were like, yes. Oh, we just wanted the final images as the credit run ran to be something like almost calming. But it ends up just like confusing people who are, I guess, I don't know, easily confused. I don't know. Yeah, that's. And and actually, it's even sadder, I think, because at the time, uh, network TV would shrink the credits down to a very small portion of the screen and then run Mm -hmm. a promo for something else. 
And the only way that wouldn't happen is if you had a visual element to the credits. So they they wanted to have something just to make sure it filled the screen. Interesting. And, I didn't think about that technicality, but yeah, that makes sense. Um, it's like how I found out if The Simpsons is going to have a post credit scene, the credits aren't in yellow. Oh, interesting. Which was more interesting. Like, I feel like you're the only other person who either already knows this or would find it interesting. Because <laughs> um, we were talking about credits. Um, in the There's one Breaking Bad episode. It's Ozzy. I never know how to say it because I have a horrible Saskatchewan accent where I mispronounce things all the time. I'm um, like Ozzy Mandias, Ozzy Mandias. It's like the third last yeah. Breaking Bad. The one, the, the best episode, essentially. Where they had to yes. get approval from like a whole bunch of like the writer, the director, the cast and all this to show the credits like 20 minutes in instead of right at the beginning because that first scene is so it's like nonstop intense with like oh, yeah, that's right. huge things happening. They don't run the credits until it's like Walt's just like walking in the desert, like way after. And I always found that very interesting. I don't know why, but there it is. It's a fun fact. It's I did not know they had to get approval for that, but that's yeah. That's that's kind of amazing. Yeah, which goes to show how dedicated, like, Breaking Bad kind of got a little bit ruined by the fans of Breaking Bad. Like, anyone who yes. watched that show then was like, Walter White rules. I just was like, oh, man, you did not understand <laughs> that show. Um, but there's certain episodes. If you have a problem with Skyler, so we. Oh, my God. People who hated Skyler made me so furious. Oh, my gosh. I you know, I have I... a. My, I have friends who do not listen to my opinion on TV, even though it's the only thing I know anything about. <laughs> and like years later, they'll want something to watch. And I'll, I'll be like, well, I prepared for this eventuality. Uh, you could have been watching Fargo when I told you to start. But now we've got seasons banked. But uh, we are watching Better Call Saul and they have never watched Breaking Bad. Interesting. And it's... It's kind of fascinating because every character like has to earn their place for them. Like it doesn't matter if they were in Breaking Bad or weren't, which means they also aren't living day to day with the worry of what exactly is going to happen to characters like Kim and Nacho, who we I'm don't see again. Just going to say to you, I'm not caught up on uh, Better Call Saul. I think I'm on season three or four. Four. and it's for that as soon as I started being like Kim is my gal I love Kim I'm ride or die for Kim I was like I don't know if I can keep watching this show because I fear she will be murdered <laughs> it was like a real thing where I like have a block with that show even though I love I love Bob Odenkirk it's a great show I think it's in some ways it's I kind of like it more than Breaking Bad but um I just love her so much and I'm just like no I don't want to see her die <laughs> like maybe that's not what they'll do to her like maybe she's just in the background of Jimmy's life when he's dealing with all the breaking bad stuff but I have a gut feeling that that's not the case you know yeah it's it's a thing I, but I'm very worried because I love Kim uh um but, uh, you know, Jimmy in Breaking Bad was not the kind of character where you would know anybody in his outside life. Yeah. So it's it's not like she's conspicuous by her absence, but I don't know. It upsets me. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I find someone else who, like, I have one of my best friends, I'll, like, recommend her a show, and she'll watch and be like, yeah, it was good, and then I'll be like, no, but, like, let's talk about it, because I've been wanting to talk to you about the show forever, she's like, I don't remember that, but, I mean, like, I will watch a show, it was good, I was like, god damn it, like, come on, man, like, give me something, I just, like, care too much, I just, I just love TV so much, it's just so entertaining. We. I I will definitely have you for future uh, TV discussion episodes because our our TV tastes sync up <laughs> sync up surprisingly well. Heck yeah, that rules. I'm sorry. I feel like uh, I've talked your ear off about TV. We came to talk. I came on to talk about something very specific. And I well, I believe me, I you know I'm I'm I everything every show we've talked about has been near and dear to my heart, <laughs> and uh, has sort of flowed naturally. And we didn't even really barely even touched on Justified, which uh, oh, I know right. is another top for us. I love that show. Man, it's if they good. do that second Raylan Gibbons series, we are going to we're going to have a Justified episode. Is that in talks as a thing? Yeah, it was it's it's. Uh, the creators of Justified have licensed another <laughs> another Elmore Leonard novel about Raylan Gibbons. Oh, my God! So I have because no it, idea. yeah, it's and Timothy Oliphant is. I mean, don't do it without him. That'd be crazy. Oh yeah, he's game. Like he was on the final season of like The Good Place, technically as <laughs> Timothy Oliphant, but he was Raylan Givens, you know. He was, so yeah, he's he was clearly Ray. down to. I think yeah, he no, loves yeah, that he's, show and loves that character. So I think they would do. They would have to do it with him. Yeah, he he's attached, and the thing is. Like because of the way licensing works, they can't necessarily use any of the other justified characters if they aren't in this other book. But so many of them had such perfect finales. Like I don't want to see Boyd Crowder again because his story is told. Yeah, I totally agree. But yeah, like oh yeah, that's tough. Like unless they did it like how they did kind of like the first season, where it was almost like each episode was a different case. Like it didn't have the same kind of arcs as the later seasons did. Like, uh, but yeah, I don't know how they would do that, but I would be, always be happy to see more Raylan Givens on TV. Yeah. And, you know, Even really after. Make him a oh, teenager. Be... I don't care. I'll, I'll pretend that, that Timothy Oliphant can be like 20. <laughs> <laughs> after season one of Justified, they were not doing stuff from the. I mean, the, Justified was based on a short story, and they adapted yeah. that short story in full in the first episode. Yeah. And. Like, to the extent that if you watch the first episode now, Boyd is definitely dead, but there's a line of dialogue going, well, he might survive getting shot in the heart. <laughs> well, that's another thing where it's like that character and God, he's like, oh, God, I can talk about an actor. Um, but I feel like he just was so good. It's like, yeah, bring him back every season. Make him this like second. Like, he's such a good foil to Raylan Givens. Like, why would they? kill him in the first episode like can you imagine that show without Boyd Crowder like what a mistake yeah it's it's a it's unthinkable and if you watch especially the first episode but a lot of the first season it's like oh they I mean one thing they don't bring up often after the first season is his big old swastika tattoo (laughs) (laughs) yeah that needs like when he kind of gets almost like he's not a good guy but he becomes like likable it's they really don't address that he was fully a white supremacist in the first right <laughs> yeah like they should maybe talk about that he's 
I don't know because it seems like he's not but it's like when did that like show that character development please <laughs> yeah you you do maybe want to address that in the first episode he does blow up a black church with a bazooka <laughs> yeah it's kind of hard to root for him after that but they I really just hope you forget because he doesn't yeah I don't know that's an interesting yeah. Great I think maybe it's one of those things that's impossible to bring somebody back from. So you just maybe it's just like, don't acknowledge it. Yeah, and... you retcon it a bit. Talk about like a theme song not really matching the vibe of a show. <laughs> the Justified <laughs> theme song is perhaps the weirdest choice. <laughs> it's so weird. It's so weird. <laughs> oh, what they were thinking, who knows. <laughs> Country right. rap. <laughs> <laughs> Which is mostly just a reminder of what year that series started. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, it is. And I know we covered a lot of shows, but it was very fun to talk to you about TV and the leftovers in particular. Yes. Thank you so much for inviting me to come. This is my truly my favorite thing to talk about. So this was just an absolute joy to even be asked um yeah asked on to come and talk to you it was, it's what a joy yeah it I, I really appreciate you taking the time and now i'm getting a notification that we have a poor connection so luckily we are almost done <laughs> yeah it's um, a good time to wrap up yeah uh i have a thing to say to wrap up and then if you want to uh I, I keep forgetting that we're all normal people and we don't necessarily have anything to plug but if <laughs> if if you do Although I assume most of the people listening to this are, are going to be the, the listeners you bring over, who I believe you refer to as the Haley Hive. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> possibly the Haley Horde. Look, you can you can workshop this all you want. Uh, uh, unlike the previous bonus episode I did, which I recorded with somebody I've been friends with for 15 years, I am not going to spring an ad on you <laughs> without <laughs> warning. But... Uh, I just want to acknowledge my my official sponsor, who we discussed earlier in the episode, uh, TeasedBySummer.com, the best, the best, the, you know what, the best t-shirts on the internet. I think we can agree to that, right? Oh, yeah. Her designs are very good. Yeah, they're tremendous. And I feel like Man, I'm, perhaps, maybe I'm the targeted audience specifically for them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I will, I will, t- and may, maybe I'll send it to you afterwards, but, uh, she did a uh i'm writing a scripted podcast that we will hopefully start recording soon uh she did a a cover art for that that is it is incredible i would love to see that she's so talented yeah i will send i will send it to you because it's uh and this is really just going to aggravate people who will not see it for a while or know what my project is but it's so (laughs) good it changed the way i wrote it Oh my gosh. Like there was a, yeah, it's, it's tremendous. So go there, buy some stuff. Hey, Bruce wants you to buy stuff too. Yeah. (laughs) That was his bark of support for summer. (laughs) Uh, Do, uh, do you have anything you'd like people to check out or just, uh, or, uh, Hey, if there's a good TV show you're watching that me or listeners aren't watching, tell, tell us what it is. Um, Or send us your socials. Oh. Yeah, you can give me a follow on Twitter and Instagram, which is Haley Lear. Um, I host a weekly radio show 
on my community radio station called Dodecahedron. Uh, but the archives are all available on cjtr.ca. People can listen to my radio show. I don't talk a lot. It's just music, really. <laughs> Still, I bet it's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty fun. I'm trying to think about TV. Sh- the TV show I just watched. Oh, I just rewatched The Leftovers. Everyone go watch The Leftovers. Although I assume if you haven't, you probably didn't make it this far. But just go watch it. Unless you knew we were going to talk about The Sopranos for a while and yeah. you hung on for that. <laughs> exactly, uh, yeah. You know, I'll be honest with you, there is not a lot of TV drama right now that's got me in any way excited. I honestly can't think of what I've even been watching. I feel like I just drew a total blank. Because I've just been re-watching stuff. That's, that's all I've been doing, is just re-watching the, the stuff I know for sure is good. <laughs> My... Yeah, my my routine now is I watch an episode of Superstore before bed, and then I can't sleep, so I watch Wipeout for like six hours. <laughs> the calming, what a my, calming TV show, Wipeout. <laughs> well, it's one of those where the like the sound levels are pretty consistent throughout. Mm. You know, a scripted show, you run the chance there's going to be an explosion or a gunshot that'll wake you up. That's extremely true. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's just weirdly comforting for me. Uh, so yeah, I mostly, uh, so mostly what I've been watching is Superstore and Garbage, but, uh, Succession's coming back soon. I think we could be excited about that. Oh yeah. That's going to be a, uh, yeah, I will. I, that's why I might return to Twitter is just to talk about Succession with people. <laughs> oh man. I will be watching for that. Okay. I do think I need to rewatch it cause it's been so long. I can't remember any of the characters names. <laughs> Yeah, or you know what? Just rewatch the season finale of season two. It's perfect, and I feel like it's like the perfect little, like nutshell of like what the entire show is. Its whole deal, everyone's deal is like perfectly executed in that episode. I, that's the one. They're they're all on a boat together, right? Oh or yeah, that the end of season on, one. That's the end of season two. They're on the death yacht in Italy. It's not okay. actually a death yacht, but it's they talk about death a lot <laughs> on that yacht. <laughs> that's. I'll I'll do that because otherwise oh, yeah. I'm just excited to see the further adventures of Mean Lady and Dumb Guy. Oh yeah, the best combo. <laughs> and that could apply to so many pairings on that show. <laughs> Every any any combo of a, a male and a female is Mean Lady and Dumb Guy. <laughs> Maybe they should change change the title. <laughs> Succession made me think it was going to be a lot more serious than it is. Yes. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, talk about a show that is objectively funny and extremely dramatic. Holy cow. Oh, man. And it often makes me feel bad. Yeah, that too. <laughs> All right. Well, it is late where I am, but less late where you are. But uh, this is also this is a record setting episode. But thank you so much. This was this oh, was really sure. fun. I was I was very nervous to to record with a person I haven't actually spoken to. And. You are a delight. Thank you so much. I, I was just nothing but excited. <laughs> so thank you so much for inviting me, for having me. Thank you for taking the time. Uh, yeah, definitely. I'll, I'll do more more bonus episodes devoted to TV talk because, oh, this has been a breath of fresh air. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Invite me along anytime. I'm happy to to chat. All right. We might have to do a, do a succession uh, wrap up after the season's over. Oh, sounds great. All right. Put it on the books. Yeah.
been Raquel. All right. Well, thank you. I'm going to stop recording now. Uh, I appreciate this was really fun. Thank you so much. And I will I will welcome. talk to you about TV soon. Okay, sounds great. Yeah, take care. All right. Bye. Bye.